Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a gathering of people that want to know Jesus and love like Him. If you hear something today that you'd like to know more about, you should check out our other podcast, Rocky Unscripted, where we take a topic and through conversation and study, we go a little bit deeper. And right now, let's join today's message. Morning, church. Good to be with you. I want to welcome everybody at our NIWAT campus, everybody who's hanging out with us online. Good to be with you. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And we're excited that you're here hanging out with us on this Sunday morning. If you're, if you're new or visiting with us, my name is Matt, one of the pastors here. And uh, man, if we can serve you in any way before you get out of here this morning, don't, uh, don't hesitate to connect with one of our, our volunteers or staff that are going to be hanging out in the lobby after, after service. So, so cool that you're here. It's about 25 years ago uh, at, a, at a church service, that, that, uh, at the church that I, I grew up in, about 25 years ago, I was sitting in a service very similar to to a service like this, where I experienced something that I had never experienced before. In fact, it stood out so, so much that I, I can clearly remember, I mean, I could tell you what, uh, what the sanctuary looked like, and, and this story is just so fresh on my mind in light of the topic we're talking about today. But I was sitting in a service just like this, and I grew up in a, a Baptist church, and so some of you, any other Baptists in here? Three of us, that, three of us, four of us, that's okay. It's okay. You, you're going to, yeah, it's good. Okay. So anyways, I was in this Baptist church and we were out, you know, I was in the auditorium and the pastor gets up and he starts preaching and he's getting into his message and about 15 rows behind me uh, in service, this, this older gentleman, he's probably maybe in his sixties, he stood up and he just started talking out loud. Now, it, this was not a common thing. I had never seen this ever before in, in a service. And and he was talking loud enough that clearly everybody could hear what he was saying, but nobody could understand what he was saying. In fact, when I was listening to, to him talk, I was thinking that he was speaking in a whole, whole different language that obviously I couldn't understand what he was saying. But he just got up and started talking, and all of a sudden you could feel in the room the uncomfortableness of what he was doing. There's a couple hundred people you know, in the service, and, and, and I remember looking up at, looking at the pastor thinking, what's he going to do? You know, cause, and no one's listening to you. We're all trying to figure out what he's saying. And so pastor's up there, and he, he kind of does his deal. He's like, well, thank you, brother. You know, thank you, brother. That's, that's very, you know, just go ahead and have a seat. And this dude ain't having none of it, okay? And so he's just standing there, and he keeps going. And so the pastor again says, you know, hey, thank you so much. And, and so, you know, I started looking back at this guy, and he's just standing there, and he just, you know, saying his words. And so two, two ushers start walking from the back of the auditorium. This is the point I'll never forget. Two ushers walk, they get up right beside this guy and they kind of like pull him out into the aisle. And then, and this guy, he just keeps talking, doesn't even acknowledge these guys. And, and these, two, these two ushers get one on each side of his, like underneath his, his armpit and they just pick him up. And they carry him right out of the auditorium as he keeps talking. So you just kind of hear him, uh, and he's just gone. And then the service continued as if nothing had ever happened. And I'm sitting there as like a 14, 15-year-old, you know, middle schooler going, what the heck was that? You know, what, what just happened? And the pastor just keeps on preaching. And the reason why this whole moment stands out to me, because that was the first time, that was the first day I had ever heard anybody speak in tongues. Speak in tongues. Now, some of you are here this morning, and I just said speak in tongues, and you have no idea what I'm talking about, because our church, 
um, is very diverse. We have people who have been Christians for many, many years in our church, and you know, there, there's some of you who come from all different kind of backgrounds, and, and some of you come from church backgrounds where um, the, 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 the idea of speaking in tongues, it happened quite frequently, or, or, or maybe even you know, every service you attended. If, if Rocky's been your only church, if this is the first church you've ever been a part of, this is a church where you bumped into Jesus and you got saved, and at least since I've been here over the last nine and a half years, we have never spoken, no one, I've never seen anyone speak in tongues during one of our services. You might not have any idea what I'm talking about. In fact, I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago about speaking in tongues, and they were like, let me get this straight. The week before you're talking about tongues, you're talking about sex? And I was like, yeah. And then they're like, and then tongues? And they thought by tongues I was talking about making out, and that's not the deal. Although it is Father's Day, and some of you dads would like that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, I know that can be a little bit confusing. I know this is a confusing topic and oftentimes we, we really don't talk about speaking in tongues, which is kind of, kind of ironic because we come from all different backgrounds and, and some of us might even have come to different conclusions about what it is or, or what it isn't, but, but we've been working through you know, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians, within 1 Corinthians, and it just so happens that kind of like right in the middle of this, of this letter, chapters 12, 13, and 14, the, the, the major topic is speaking in tongues. Paul leans into the church in Corinth. And Corinth was a very interesting place. I mean, Corinth, uh, to, you know, in, in modern day would be located in, in, you know, southern Greece. It was a port city. It, it was very diverse. There's all kinds of people that, that lived in Corinth. And there was Greeks and Romans and Jews and, and Christians. It was just, it was so diverse. But it was also a really wealthy place because it was a place of commerce and trade and and there was always kind of people coming and going. And one of the reasons why we, you know, called this series What Happens in Corinth, because it kind of reminds us a little bit of, of Vegas. And, and what was interesting about, about Corinth is that Paul, he, on one of his missionary journeys, he, he planted a church in Corinth. So he loved this place and he loved seeing the church continue to grow. But, you know, then the phrase, you know, we've, we've joked about, you know, what, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, which isn't true. We've labeled this series, you know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. But it wasn't true because what was happening in Corinth wasn't staying in Corinth. The stories were starting to spread a little bit. And somewhere along the way, Paul got word of what was happening in the church. And it wasn't good. In fact, I think that outside of the letters of Paul, the church in Corinth might have become the first church to ever split in the history of church. Wasn't going very well. In fact, week one, Sean talked about it. There was disunity, it just was abounding where people were kind of framing up the church into the context of their leaders and picking the leader that they liked the most. And so there's quite a bit of disunity. And then Nick was up here two weeks ago that Paul had to address that they were kind of leveraging communion in all the wrong ways for all the wrong reasons. And in fact, that culture was really struggling how the church, it, it, it brings unity, not disunity. It doesn't matter where you come from or how much money you have, but essentially the rich people were kind of taking advantage of communion and not really thinking about the other folks in the church who may have had less than them. And so it was causing a really negative thing. And then last week, Amanda was up here and just immorality was just, was just part of that culture. It really wasn't adhering to the boundaries and the guardrails that Jesus had given when it comes to when it comes to sex. In fact, Paul even has to like, you know, write specific things where he's like, husbands, don't have sex with your mother-in-laws. And they were like, oh, I didn't know that. And then Paul's like, yeah, don't do that. And so he's just leaning all the way in. And then, and then maybe, you know, in light of all the discussions, we get to chapters 12, 13, 14, and Paul leans in talking about spiritual gifts and even more specifically, 
speaking in tongues. Now here's the deal. I would argue, I've been in ministry almost 20 years now, and I would argue that speaking in tongues is, is definitely maybe in the top 10, maybe even a little bit higher, top five, of some of the most controversial, misunderstood, complex topics in the church. This is why we don't like talking about it. And I'll even be honest, what I'm going to do today is kind of like a survey of three chapters, and I'm going to move pretty quick. And, and if you come from a different background, if I say anything that you might be like, ah, I don't think that's true, just hear me out a little bit. I'm more than happy to talk afterwards. But, but what we're just taking one message addressing something that has caused a lot of disunity in 2,000 years of church, church history. Now, what's also interesting about this topic is that the origin story of tongues, so we're going to look at the, the story in just a second of where we see speaking in tongues for the first time. The origin story of speaking in tongues is also the origin story of the church. It's very interesting. If you, if you said, you know, what, what's the, how did the church launch? What, you know, what was the story? Well, speaking in tongues is right in the midst. It's almost kind of the story of the origin of the church. They both start at the same time place. And, and the, the book of Acts is where we read the, the, the story of the early church. So Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Now, the story up to Acts chapter 2, Jesus has come to earth. He did his earthly ministry. He died on the cross. He was crucified for the sins of the world. Three days later, he comes back from the dead. And then he begins to appear to his disciples. In Acts chapter 1, he, he is appearing in his disciples and he's commissioning them. He's going, look guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this message of what you've seen to, to the whole world. And he goes, now, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to leave you. He says, I'm going to ascend into heaven. And then we've talked about this before, but he essentially says, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the spirit inside of you. This is what Jesus says. The spirit that's going to come to be inside of you will be better than, than the Jesus beside you. This is going to get better, which would have been incredibly difficult for them to understand because they're going, how's this going to be better? They, they didn't quite get it. But Jesus says, I got to go prepare a place for you. And they're going, can we come with you? He goes, no, you can't. You're going to stay here. And then he says, you got to wait I want you to wait in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is going to, to come. That's Acts chapter 1. Then we get to Acts chapter 2. This is the origin story of the church, also the same story when it comes to speaking in tongues. So here's what it says, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. The reason why they were all together because they're waiting because Jesus told them to wait. So they all came together in one place. Now you may even notice we have certain denominations that leverage the word Pentecost. And so even the word Pentecost can be scary to some folks. And oftentimes it is associated with speaking in tongues, which makes sense because it's the same origin story for both the church and tongues. But Pentecost really isn't all that of a scary word. It comes from the Greek word Pentecoste. It simply means 50th. That's all it means. 50th. So what's happening here is, is that what, what used to happen was the Jews, they would celebrate Pentecost 50 days after Passover. Jesus shows up and he dies and then he comes back from the dead and Jesus kind of, he changes the game up a little bit where here what's happening is during Pentecost, this is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. It just so happens that the origin story of the church is going to happen 50 Days. It's Pentecost. And so obeying what Jesus told them to do, they've been waiting now. So the distance between the timetable between Acts 1 and Acts 2 is 10 days. They haven't seen Jesus in 10 days. 
Then Pentecost arrives, and they're all gathered together, and they're waiting, because that's what Jesus told them to do. And then this, here we go, verse 2, it says this, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent, or some, some will translate that as mighty or strong wind. It came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So this is very interesting. This single, this single line gives us a lot of description. I love it about how the Holy Spirit moved, especially in this moment. Suddenly, just kind of just came out of nowhere. Suddenly they heard something that they had never heard before. And it kind of, best way they could describe it, they go, it's kind of like a wind. It was so profound. And they knew that this wasn't like an earthly wind. It came from somewhere else. It was real. Even though they couldn't touch it, they could feel it. And the force of the wind, they go, it wasn't created, it wasn't man-made, it wasn't manipulated, it, it was from another place. Verse 3, then they saw what seemed to be tongues. Now, when you get into the Greek, this word here that's used for tongues simply means language. So they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, some imagery here, I think, that separated and came to rest on each of them in the room. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Again, same word, just means languages, as the Spirit enabled them. And so if you're like, what, what exactly is speaking in tongues? It would, it's almost kind of like this idea of this personal, almost like a prayer language or a personal language that God gives to you that, that is almost an outpouring or an overflow of what the Holy Spirit is doing. If you're, if you're a parent... Think of it like this, if, if your kid's sitting there and you just load them up with sugar, they got to start moving, don't they? They got to do something with that energy. This, this idea of speaking in tongues is like this, there's something happening with the spirit inside of you and you just, you got to do something, you just can't contain it. There's this overflow in language or tongues that oftentimes, you know, you, you can't understand. So this is what's happening in, in this moment. Now, we don't know the exact number of people in the room, but when you start kind of looking at the story, you find that in Acts chapter 1, Peter is, is kind of preaching to, the, to what it, the writer says there's the number of believers that are present at that time. So in Acts chapter 1, we know that there's about 120 people. This is kind of the origin of the church. About 120 people. Peter gets up and he's speaking to the church, about 120 people. So I don't know how many people are in the room when, when the spirit arrives and people begin to speak in tongues, but you could argue there could be up to 120 people. And can you imagine the chaos? Let's just say there was 50. 50 people. I mean, I was in a service one time where one dude shut the whole thing down. You know what I'm talking about? And this is 50, you know, 100, 120 people. They've been waiting and waiting with anticipation. And then the, the spirit shows up like a heavenly wind and just creates this, you know, everyone starts talking in tongues. It would have been incredibly loud. It would have been so chaotic. It, I imagine it would have, you know, felt like you're in the middle of a hurricane, which is why I think it's kind of described as that. It says this, verse 5, And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. So there's, there's people, you know, from all over the place in Jerusalem. They're there because it's, you know, it's Pentecost. It's the Feast of Pentecost. And, 
And there's a huge crowd that's in Jerusalem. More than likely, there's a lot of people that are in the crowd that day were also around when Jesus was crucified. And so, you know, there's just this huge crowd. And here's what happens, verse 6, because there's such a commotion. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because this would have been a sight to see, because each one heard their own language being spoken. This is very interesting. And so they, these people that were in the room who are all of a sudden are filled with the Holy Spirit and now, and now speaking in tongues, speaking languages, they're speaking other languages. Now, they've never been taught. They don't know what they're saying, but there's a crowd gathering. And this crowd is so diverse. People are coming from all different regions because they hear people talking about God or praising God in their foreign language, which would have been very confusing. Because more than likely, they're not bumping into a whole lot of people that would speak their foreign language in Jerusalem, verse 11. And we hear them, this is what they're hearing, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Again, same, same word, their language. And amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? They were in awe. The folks watching were amazed, but not everybody because it was so crazy. Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said they had had too much wine. So if you also want to know what it may have looked like for those people speaking in tongues that day, it kind of looked like they were drunk. And I know none of you have ever been drunk, but you've seen drunk people before. You get the idea of what's happening. It's loud, it's chaotic, it's crazy. There's also an amazement and wonder because they are hearing things that they understand. There's somebody singing or, 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 or yelling or talking the wonders and praises of God in their own language. And so there's this crowd that is creeping into the room. Now, enter Paul, who writes to the church in Corinth about 20 to 25 years after this moment. After the origin story of speaking in tongues, now we have Paul writing to the church in Corinth, and he's, and he's writing because here's what's, all, here's what's happened in about 20 to 25 years in the history of the church, and also the narrative of speaking in tongues. It would seem that the gift of tongues wasn't being used to honor God. Already, this really incredible story is turning into something that's, that's negative. Because the church in Corinth was, was speaking in tongues to build status. Meaning that those who practice the gift of speaking in tongues claim to be more spiritual than those who didn't. It almost kind of came like a spiritual competition. Have you spoken in tongues? Well, no, I haven't. <gasps> Whoa, you know. You're not as holy as you know, all, all, all of us because we speak in tongues. And we, you know, how often do you speak in tongues? And how long do you speak in tongues? And, and all of a sudden it became this competition in the church in Corinth. And this is why Paul leans in. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. And Paul is so crafty here. I'm telling you, we could do a whole series on this because I've been in these three chapters for, for a little bit of time. And there, Paul is so crafty, so wise to eventually the point he's about to make. But here's what he says, chapter 12, verse 1. He's jumping into the conversation. He says, now, now about the gifts of the Spirit... Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. What he's saying is, you don't know what you're doing. You, 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 you're misguided. I want you to understand what, what, what's happening here. Paul goes, I want to talk to you about something that is very complex and often misunderstood, but I want you to be informed. I want you to be knowledgeable of it so that you can use it in the appropriate way. He says, essentially, and I'm summarizing, there's all kinds of things that are, all kinds of gifts, all kinds of things that are handed out by the Spirit to all kinds of people. And then he gives a list. 
He gives a list in chapter 12. I, I just throw a couple up here. He talks about, he goes, some of you, he's going to give the gift of wise counsel or clear understanding. Or some of you, he's going to give you the gift of faith. Or I just call it, you know, simple trust. He's going to give some of you the gift of healing the sick. Or some of you are going to be able to perform miracles. Some of you are going to be, you know, able to teach. You're going to be about proclamation. You're going to be gifted with words. And he goes, some of you are going to have wisdom. You're going to be able to, you know, distinguish between spirits. You'll be able to understand what's really happening and what's right and wrong. And then at the end of the list, here's what he does. And then he throws in tongues. And then the last thing he throws in is interpretation of tongues. So he goes, guys, look, 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 I'm going to talk to you about the gifts of the Spirit because when you become a Christian, you know, the Spirit inside of you, he gives you gifts. And he walks through not just one gift, but many gifts. He goes, look, all these gifts have a common origin. They all come from God. They're handed out by the Spirit who lives inside of you. And it's the Holy Spirit who decides who gets what and when. It's very clear. He goes, don't forget. Then he kind of leans into this other portion, which we jump into these chapters all the time in the church. and We never talk about tongues because Paul says some really good things. But to make his point, he jumps in then in chapter 12. He goes, because the church is like a body. You, you've heard a pastor talk about this. I've talked about this. He goes, the church is like a body. There's all different parts of the body. And for the body to be healthy, you need all the parts. And he goes, this is, he's kind of given this metaphor, this imagery where he's going in the context of gifts. Not all of you have the same gift. And that's a good thing. You've all been gifted with different gifts, and this is what makes the body of the church so powerful. It's what makes your body so powerful when you have all the parts. So he goes, don't forget, you're the body of Christ. Don't forget that. And, and he goes, he kind of leans in. He goes, now let me, you guys are very familiar with the, the parts of the body that God has formed for the church. Is what Paul's saying to the church in Corinth. And again, he gives a list. Very interesting what he's doing. He goes, you guys know this. You've been part of the church. There's different people been gifted in different ways that then leads them to different positions in the church. He says this, look, in the church, there's some apostles. There's some prophets. There's going to be some teachers. There's going to be some miracle workers. There's some of you are going to be healers. Some of you are going to be helpers. Some of you are going to be organizers. And then, because I think he's so sneaky, the last thing he puts in the list, he says, those of you who pray in tongues, now, I, I would argue, you can say, okay, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts. The reason why he's talking about spiritual gifts is because he wants to talk about tongues. He knows the point that he's wanting to make. He's just building the foundation. And the whole idea is this, that God is the one through the Holy Spirit who gives out gifts. You don't get to choose your gift. Your gift is gifted to you. And then that translates into different things that you're able to do in the context of the church because how you have been gifted. And then he says this, verse 14, but it's obvious by now, isn't it, that Christ's church is a complete body, not a gigantic, undimensional part, meaning we want it to be, you know, we, we, we want it to be diverse. We don't want everybody all having the same gift. So here's what he says. It's not all apostle, is it? It's not all prophets, not all miracle workers, it's not all healer, it's not, look at this, it's not all parent tongues, is it? It's not all interpreter of tongues, and then here comes a little dig, and yet some of you keep competing for the so-called, you know, you put in quotes, most important gift, because here's what's happening. Of all of the gifts the church had received, they were elevating speaking in tongues to the top, which is why I think Paul keeps addressing it at the bottom. And he's kind of leaning in. He's going, no, 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 that's not how it works. We don't all get the same gift. And, and also, this isn't a competition of gifts. 
Because we're a body, we're supposed to have different kind of gifts and different positions. And so when I read 1 Corinthians 12, I get the sense that Paul is a bit frustrated. That speaking in tongues was being presented as this prominent gift. And so he's leaning in and he's giving it restraint rather than promotion. He's kind of reeling it in. He's going, no, 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 you you don't quite understand. You don't have the knowledge because you're misusing and mislooking, misjudging this gift. So much so that you, when you read chapter 12, you get the sense that he's saying, look, don't be concerned much if it's not a prominent experience for you. He he starts bringing it in. Which means, and, and so this is a big you know, conversation in the context of speaking in tongues. I'll just tell you where I land. Which means, and I just get this from reading Paul. So if you don't agree with me, then you don't agree with Paul. But I'm, I'm not buying into you got to speak in tongues in order to signify that you're filled with the Spirit or that you're a Christian. I just don't buy into that. Because Paul leans in, he goes, this is, this is not a, a demonstration. This is not you know, so we can figure out if you're really a Christian or not. He goes, this is a gift. It's in the list of gifts. And he goes, some of you have been gifted and some of you haven't. Some of you have been gifted with other things. Paul would kind of more look at it and say, you've all been gifted through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me see where you've been gifted. He's going to encourage you to use your gift in the context of the church. But this isn't, are you saved or not conversation. This isn't, are you holy or not conversation. This isn't a test of your faith and what level of faith you have depended upon if you speak in tongues or not. Paul, he's not buying any of that. To believe that, you will have to disagree with Paul. To which I said to somebody a couple weeks ago, do you think there's going to be people in heaven who've never spoken in tongues? I hope so, because I've never spoken in tongues. And many of you haven't either. But I think what Paul's doing in chapter 12, he's saying this is not a faith conversation. This is not if you believe in Jesus' conversation. This is a gift conversation. This is for the health of the body kind of conversation. This is not, we're not looking for a sign that you've been gifted, or at least not this kind of sign. Keeps going, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and different kinds of tongues. And again, he goes, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do miracle works, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? He goes, look, not everybody is going to speak in tongues. Because the ability to pray in this unknown tongue, this overflowing of the Holy Spirit, according to Paul, is not given to every believer. Meaning that speaking in tongues, which is, I think, the point Paul's trying to make, is not the most important thing. And so you could go, what is the most important thing? Glad you asked. Paul answers it. Gets to the end of chapter 12, he goes, no, 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 if you want to desire a gift, if you want to have a competition for the greatest gift of all, here's what he says, verse 31, you should eagerly desire that gift. Then he gets into chapter 13, which we talk about a lot. In fact, if you ever got married, your pastor may have read scripture from 13. Here's what he says, chapter 13, verse 1. Look what he starts out with. I'm telling you, this whole thing is about tongues. He goes, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have what? Love. Jesus juked him right there. Love changes the whole conversation. He goes, look, if you speak in tongues, but you do it without love, then you're only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If you have the gift of prophecy, you can fathom all the mysteries and knowledge. And if I have faith, I can move mountains, but I do not have love. I am nothing. 
Verse 3, if, all I, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul goes, man, if you want to have a competition in the context of your faith and your spirituality, it isn't about tongues. It's not about prophesying. It's not about teaching. It's not even a matter of how much you give away. He goes, if you want to have a competition in your followingship of Jesus, the, the, the matrix, what we're measuring is love. Where did he get that from? That's what Jesus said. John, back in the book of John, John 13, John 15. Jesus kind of looks at his disciples. He goes, guys, new command I give to you. I want you to love one another. I will know you are my disciple, not by how you speak in tongues, but by how you love one another. Love. It's right there in the middle of the whole conversation of tongues. And all the verses after that is usually what we read in in weddings because it's a lot of definition of love. And the idea of love is super crazy when you read everything that Paul says. But the ability to pray in an unknown tongue is not the primary evidence of the the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul says love is. Love is. Love is the greatest identifier of those who follow Jesus. And this is where people get confused. Because there are some of you who have emphasized the speaking in tongues to prove to yourself or to others that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you so much so that you may have even in the context of your own spiritual formation, you know, faked speaking in tongues. Or been in other environments where potentially people were speaking in tongues and there's nothing inside of you that's necessarily overflowing in the moment. None, no foreign language that is birthed from the Holy Spirit, but you participate anyways because you kind of want to be in with that crowd because somebody somewhere told you along the way that if you're a Christian, you've got to speak in tongues. I got a whole lot of other stories that I could tell you in my own journey, in my own faith environments. I've been in rooms where there have been a hundred people speaking in tongues and I was the only one who wasn't. And even asking God, going, God, I'm not against tongues. And if you would have me speak in tongues in this moment, I will, but I just can't fake it. I've been in a room the size of this with about four to 500 young people where the preacher on the stage said, we're gonna have a wave of the Holy Spirit. I had never seen that before. They put guards at the doors and said, nobody can leave. And the pastor was so, you know, just this speaker was, ah, you know, and he was like, whoa. And I was like in row 20. And people in the first row fell down and second row fell down and third row fell down and began to speak in tongues. And I was the only dude standing in the whole room, which drew a crowd. And had 10 to 15 people speaking in tongues over me that I may speak in tongues. And friends, I never spoke in tongues. I'm not against it. I just can't fake it. I think it would be an incredible experience to be able to be overflowing with kind of the the language of the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues. But it's just not a gift that God has given to me in this season of life. And Paul is leaning into the church in Corinth and going, don't get confused. Don't get this confused. This is not a competition. This is not a test of your faith. This is a gift that God has given. And when used appropriately, it glorifies God and it builds up the church. But be very careful how you use it. Here's what he says. You get into chapter 14 after he does a whole chapter talking about love. (laughs) What Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, he says this. Humble brag, by the way. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. (laughs) Humble brag. You guys don't even do it right. And if you're going to be honest, I do it way more than all of you. I mean, this is what he says. 
He goes, verse 19, but in the church, I would, look what he says. But in the church, I would rather speak in five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Interesting. He goes, when the church gathers, I want you guys to think about how God has gifted you and how you use your gift. I love this because this is an approach conversation. Some people get upset with me when I talk about the approach of the church, thinking that we should just be able to do whatever we want whenever we want because we got God on our side. Paul would disagree. In fact, he disagrees in what was the most important topic at the time in the church of Corinth, speaking in tongues. He goes, look, when you gather together in the church, I'd rather just have one person give me five words I understand than 10,000 words I don't get. Verse 23, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquires, or, you know, or if everyone speaks in tongues and then inquirers or unbelievers come in, but will they not say that you are out of your mind? <laughs> to which we would go, well, yeah, they will. Paul goes, just from an approach standpoint, when you go back to the origin story of speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 2, Peter was not reaching people through speaking in tongues. He, he wasn't speaking in tongues and then people got saved. Here was the story. The story was that they were waiting for the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were so overwhelmed with the presence of the Holy Spirit, they began speaking in other languages and the crowd that is in Jerusalem hears the commotion. They are drawn to it and then Peter stands up, not speaking in tongues. Peter, Peter stands up and begins to preach in Greek which was the common language of the day. And because he is speaking words that now people understand, he's preaching Jesus. 3,000 people come to a knowledge of Jesus. They repent of their sins and they get baptized that day. And Paul is going back to the origin story and saying, if you're gonna speak in tongues and you're gathering, if there's gonna be all these people speaking in tongues and you have unbelievers coming in, they're not gonna know what you're saying. And for them to make a decision to follow Jesus, they're going to have to understand. So essentially, Paul leans into the church and he goes, stop it. You're having this competition on Sunday mornings about who's more holy because who's speaking in tongues and who isn't. Meanwhile, you're not reaching anybody with the gospel, which is what Jesus told you to do in Acts chapter 1. He leans so much into it, he goes, if you want to speak in tongues, and that's an awesome thing, if you want to do that, he goes, you would be better off going home, going in your closet, and doing it there. Because the most important thing isn't speaking in tongues. The most important thing is how you love people. Most important thing is how you use the gift that God has given you to reach more people with the story of Jesus and to build up the body of Christ. So here, I think this is the whole point. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's the deal. God has gifted you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And if you don't know what your gift is, then you should begin a process of trying to figure it out. He's gifted you with incredible gifts, gifts that I've not been gifted with. In fact, there's other places where Paul in the New Testament, he, he throws out a whole bunch of different gifts. He talks about the gift of teaching, the gift of hospitality, gift of wisdom, of of generosity, the gift of serving, the gift of leadership, the gift of encouragement, the the gift of administration. I think God has gifted some of you just to have natural influence with certain people in our community and different age groups. I, I have seen people that I look at and go, they have been gifted to have influence in the lives of middle schoolers. I don't have that gift. I've seen just, you just get around people and go, wow, they've just been gifted. They view the world different than me and thank God that they do. 
Because the church doesn't need, you know, a thousand mats. The church needs to be, you know, filled with all different people with all different kinds of gifts. And when we do that, here, here's, here's the cool thing. When we do that, when we use our gift in a God-honoring way, here's what I think happens. I think a crowd begins to show up and go, what you doing over there? I, I heard something. I, I, heard, I heard something. Now, in, in Jerusalem at Pentecost, they, they, they heard tongues. You know what they hear 2,000 years later? They hear love. That's our language. I heard something over here. What are you all doing? I heard that the church served or the church gave or they're generous in such a way. I just want to kind of know what's going on. And in the midst of the church living out the gifts they've been giving and loving and serving people and being generous and what they have, somebody gets up and says, let me tell you why we do what we do. Because somewhere along the way, we bumped into Jesus and he changed our life and he can change yours. And people respond because they can understand. And they repent and they're baptized. And they jump into the body of Christ. What would happen if there was a church? Now, come on. What would happen if there was a church that says, here's my gift. And I'm gonna use it in the context and the filter of thinking, how am I gonna use this to build up the body to love people well. If a church did that, I think what happened at Pentecost 2,000 years ago could happen today. Radical movements of thousands of people going, I don't understand it all, but I understand enough. And I, I want some of that. And the church going, come on, this gospel is not just for some, it's for all is for all. I don't know where you stand on speaking in tongues. I'm not against it. I th certainly think it would be awesome to experience it one day, but it does not define, I think, your faith or mine. It's a gift, along with many other gifts, when used appropriately, honors God. We pray for you. Father, this morning, we thank you for the reminder of how much you love your church. You can see in the scriptures how much Paul loves this church in Corinth. He's rooting for them and he's writing this letter going, guys, you've got it a little bit wrong in some of these areas. Father, I would pray that you would help us to see how we have leveraged certain gifts in this church in a way that is not honoring to you. That we would use our gifts that you have given to us for the right reasons in the right way that we may serve and love one another in such a way that it too may draw a crowd where then we can be the best storytellers of what we have seen and what we've experienced in our old life, that we believe the Son of God died for our sins and three days later came back from the dead. And that's the story that's changed our life. And we believe it has the power to change the lives of people all over this world. So help us, if we're gonna be competitors, help us to compete in love. Help us to want to outserve one another and love people in our community in such a way, knowing that that is what you are looking for in your church. So help us, grow us, challenge us this morning. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.